Thank you, guys. I didn't want to leave anybody out earlier. So let me mention that, Stan, you also look good in a sweater vest, uh, wherever Stan is. Um, <clears throat> if you will, turn your Bibles with me to the letter to the Ephesians. We're starting a new series today uh, called, But Now, in Christ Jesus. Uh, the subtitle is, How Being United with Jesus Changes It All. And this will be a, a, a time through the Ephesian letter, a letter written by the Apostle Paul uh, in six chapters. And so, not a long letter, but packed densely uh, with a lot of words. If you read this, uh, there are a lot of words and a lot of meaning uh, in this little letter. You can read this, uh, the whole thing, if you're an average reader, in about 17 minutes. And so, if you're interested in uh, kind of just conditioning yourself for Sunday worship uh, for the next few weeks, uh, read the Ephesian letter. You can read the whole thing once a week or once a day for 17 minutes if you want um, and get that done. I've been listening to it over and over, uh, read out loud on my, on my podcast and just hearing these words to try to get a, a full uh, sense of uh, this whole letter. And so we're going to talk about a little bit about the series and about um, kind of what this, the whole letter is here for. Why is this uh, in, in God's word? And one way I want to start off is with a story, and I hesitate to share this because it's not doctrinally sound, it's not theologically accurate, okay? This is an anecdote, uh, but it is told by Ronald Reagan, if that helps. Uh, he's the one who came up with this little joke, and I've adapted it a little bit. Uh, there was a Tennessee and an Alabama fan uh, who uh, went to be with the Lord. They went on to glory. They got to heaven, and uh, the Tennessee fan was ushered to his abode there. The Lord had prepared for him, and it was, you know, small and very modest. And, you know, there was furnishings and dishes in the cabinets, and, but they were all very simple, you know. Uh, not, nothing flashy, nothing fantastic. And the Alabama fan was brought in <clears throat> and taken to a grand mansion. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, that's wretched, isn't it? Uh, uh, a <laughs> A grand mansion, I'm fully appointed and opulent uh, in every way. And the uh, Tennessee fan went on to his house, and the Alabama fan said, Lord, you know, not to be ungrateful at all. Uh, thank you for this, it's beautiful. But, you know, why did he get such a modest home, and I get this beautiful place? And the Lord said, well, we have a lot of Tennessee fans up here, but there's not many of you. And so... <laughs> If that makes sense to you. Somebody, nobody's going to walk out on us uh, today, I hope. We'll have to change this for the recording. Uh, for, anyway, uh, and the point I'm trying to make there, uh, if I'm able to, is uh, there's times when you feel like an outsider. There's times when you feel like everybody else uh, deserves to be saved or everybody else is in the, the full uh, main uh, corridor of what it means to, to be loved and to be uh, reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. But then there are those of us who are over here separate from everybody else, and, and, and we just never have felt like we deserve this. And in truth, we no one deserves it. Uh, but we've never felt like we're fully worthy to be called a son and a daughter of the king. No matter that Christ has given his life, no matter that the, the tomb is empty, 
we, we, we live with a constant sense of otherness, of an outsider attitude. Uh, and the Ephesian letter is written to a group of people probably like this. It's written to what we call Gentile Christians, uh, people who were not Jew, they were not the historic people of God. And it was probably written to the church at Ephesus, uh, but it may have also been a circular letter that was written by God's apostle. And again, we know that even though Paul penned this, with his, the mechanics of his fingers were at work there, uh, this was spoken into being by the Lord. These are the words and the word of God. And it was written to probably a series of churches in that area who were Gentile believers while Paul was in prison in Rome. And it may have taken on the flavor of a last word. If there's anything I can leave you with before I go, Gentiles, if there's anything I want to, you to know in case my life is snuffed out, in case I never speak to you or see you or write to you again, it is that you are fully invested members of the household of God. That's, you'll see that throughout this whole letter. And as God's chosen ones, as God's chosen ones, listen, God has changed you completely. And you're, you're, the change of your life is as certain, it is as full, and it is as complete as the, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the lordship of Jesus Christ. And if that is true, membership in the household of God is true. A few things about the letter to the Ephesians. It is highly prized uh, throughout all history. It is a rich repository of, of gospel truths and um, of knowledge of what God has done for us. It is the least situational of the letters of the epistles. There's no crisis at hand. Uh, Paul's not correcting something. He's not responding to criticism. It, it is a general assurance uh, to leave with these Gentile believers. It is to Gentiles. It is from the Apostle Paul in prison. And the theme is that they are fully united with Jesus Christ. And there are a few things I want to show you about, uh, the, um, about this letter. The first is <clears throat> that um, it, I don't want you to trip up on presuppositions here. As you read these words in here, you're going to see a few things. Uh, you're going to see words like predestination. You're going to see uh, words like chosen. And I don't want us, uh, as we read through this, to trip up on matters of doctrinal controversy. Not that we're afraid to, to dive in and to explore these things in the proper setting at the right time. But we want to look at why God sent this letter, why God left this with these people. What was the significance that they were predestined from the foundation, chosen, if you will, from the foundation of the world. And so that's going to be the kind of the, the, the way we take uh, on this a little bit. This is separated, the book of Ephesians is separated into three sections. And so you might want to make a note of this. Uh, they are called sit, walk, and stand. Verse 1 through 3 is the sit portion uh, where God just, just pours out all the wealth of what he's done. The walk portion is how we ought to change and how we ought to be new in this world. And then the stand portion is the warfare or the, um, the spiritual battle that takes place in this Christian life. And so let's read together starting in Ephesians chapter 1. We'll start in verse 1. 
And we'll just go down to verse 11 this morning. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Now, you know this, but just in case, uh, ancient letters like this were, we sign our name at the bottom, they would sign their name at the beginning. This is from Paul. Here's who I am, an introduction. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. That's important. Paul is saying right from the beginning, even I am not an apostle. Even I do not know Jesus because of anything in me. It was the determination of God to do this strange thing. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. How many spiritual blessings? Every spiritual blessing. Uh, we are blessed, how? In Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. According to the fact that we were pretty good, according to the fact that we were extra valuable, that he, want, he, he desired something in us, he needed something in us, uh, according to the fact that we were better than average or better than most, no. He chose us, he predestined us, he adopted us as sons, the Bible says here, according to the purpose of his will. Praise God for that. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, that's Jesus, capital B. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, lavished upon us. When's the last time you lavished something? Well, you know what that means. It's just, wow, it's just all, it's all over it. He has lavished this stuff upon us, the grace, the riches of his grace. In all wisdom and insight, he's lavished us with his wisdom, with his insight. He's opened our eyes to the ways of God and the mysteries of God. He has lavished us with knowledge of what was formerly concealed, what was formerly hidden, these mysteries of salvation that once we were blind to, that once we were lost to, God has let us peek into it? No, he has lavished us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan to the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. To tell you the truth, as we start today, this is an intimidating sermon series for me. There's a lot of words in that that I just read. And there's a lot of doctrine for us to cover. And we're going to try to, to make it practical and useful to you and God-honoring. But the, the main theme here for today is the abundance of blessing. I brought a picture for you to show a little, what they call a cornucopia Anybody ever seen that? When I was a kid in elementary school, you know, Thanksgiving time came around and all of a sudden the coloring book pictures came out and there was this thing. And I never understood it. Like, what is that, right? 
And why is it always look curled at the top? You see that? It's a little curly cue, and all this food is coming out of it. I still don't know what that is. The teachers told me it was called a cornucopia. It means, you know, horn of plenty. Horn of plenty. It's just a, a symbol, I guess, for abundant blessings. And that's what the apostle is sharing here today. The title of the sermon is, Look What God Has Done. Gentiles, or, or, or people of uh, Georgia today, of Gaines, Gainesvillians, if you will, look what God has done. Sinners, look what God has done. Those who think I can never be saved, those who think that's for other people, sure, those are, those are godly people over at that church, eating turkey on a Saturday night together. That's, that's one group, but I could never be a part of that. The, the attitude is look and see what God has done. It's not about you, it's about the Lord. How far does our salvation take us? And how fully can we belong to God? Let's look at this together. Number one, God has the power to save us unconditionally. He has the power to save us unconditionally. See, the place of the action makes a difference here. And what is the place of the action in verses 3 and 4? God is acting on our behalf. He's blessing us with every spiritual blessing. Where do these blessings come from? The heavenly places. It makes a difference where the action takes place. In the heavenly places where God is, how many blessings do you think he has access to? A bunch storehouses of blessings, everlasting and endless blessings. These are not the blessings of, of a well-lived life. These are the blessings of, of, of the heavenly realm of God. He has blessed us from the heavenly places. It makes a difference where these blessings come from. I brought my little Hershey Kiss today uh, to show you guys. We ordered these recently for our manger build. Uh, and I don't know what this has to do with mangers, but we liked them, and so uh, we, uh, we got these, and there are some left over, and I ha have eaten one, one of them um, recently. <laughs> I called Amazon. I looked on Amazon. We needed to order these. They said, oh, we don't have those. You know, I called or went to Walmart.com. They didn't have them. I, I traveled to Cracker Barrel and Walgreens. They didn't have them. I decided I'm just going to call up to Hershey, Pennsylvania, where these things are made. I just looked it up, Hershey's, and found the number there, and I called them, and I said, do y'all have the big kisses, you know? They said, this is not that kind of call, sir. I said, no. <laughs> I, said that, I said, do you have the, the big Hershey kisses, the seven-ounce ones? I, and uh, I said, I need maybe 50 of those. They said, yeah, we got, we got scores of those. And we got plenty of those. I said, well, thank goodness, because Amazon didn't have it, and Walmart didn't have it, and Walgreens, and even Cracker Barrel didn't have it. They said, yeah, we make those here. I mean, we got, we got warehouses full of them. I said, well, will you send, send us 50 here to the church? They said, yeah, we will. <laughs> they, they sent them here, and when the box got here, you didn't have to read the label to know what was in the box. You know why? It smelled like chocolate. I mean, it got here in two days, fresh from Pennsylvania, right, where they make this stuff. And it was sitting out in the corridor there, and it, they almost didn't make it to the manger build, if you know what I mean. <laughs> they were fresh. They were rich. When I ate the, the one that I ate, I mean, I dug into it. I mean, it was in, just incredible Hershey's chocolate, uh, you know, unmistakable. And there was 50 of them. There were ab it's, an ab it's abundant blessings, right? God is in the place of blessings. And, and, and he is able to shower us with every 
spiritual blessing. Do you have these, God? You bet I got them. I mean, we make those here. This is the place. Of, this, is where we, this is what we do. I've, I've got access to all things. Lord, I, I, I'm, a, I'm saved, but I'm from a poor family. Lord, I, I'm from, a, a, I'm from a, a different kind of background, God. Everybody struggles with sin, but oh God, don't you know what I've done? Do you have blessings enough for me? Can you equip me for this walk of salvation? God says, it matters where the action takes place, and God issues forth his spiritual blessings from where? The heavenly places. God, am I good enough? No, you're not. But I've got plenty to shower upon you. God, can I possibly lead a family as a Christian man when you know, I've got no example of that? Absolutely, sir. I'm going to shower out my blessings upon you from the spiritual realm. You see what I mean? God, I'm a Gentile. God, am I, is there enough for me? You bet. There's enough for you. It matters where the action takes place. He blesses us from the, from the heavenly places. Even as, as a comparison here, this is equal to, if you, wanna, if you want something similar, even as he chose us before when? The foundation of the world. That blows my mind, doesn't it you? It blows my mind that somehow in God's economy, before the world was spoken into being, before it even existed, before Genesis chapter 1, listen to this with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without, vo with, without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. You imagine that setting, that old earth, by the void and without form? I mean, just nothing to it yet. It was before that. Before that, that God chose us in Christ. Let that, let that sink in for just a minute. I don't totally understand that. And I know a lot of questions come jumping out of that. When I came to this church, there was a questionnaire. It said, do you believe in this way of thinking? And, uh, you know, <clears throat> is this a problem for the, the church? And it, it was, it was uh, something that arises out of this issue here. We don't have to get tangled in that today, but what we do need to know is that our salvation comes from where? From God. It matters where the action takes place. If, you're, if the action of your salvation took place here, would you ever be saved? No. Not the best one of us in here. If the, if the battlefield, if the game board of our salvation played out on our own morality and this sinful life, not a one of us would be saved. But the Bible tells us that we were, we were blessed by God from the heavenly places. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. What's that mean? That means it was before you were conceived. Before you were even conceived, God knew you. He saw you. Somehow he chose you before the foundation of the world, right? He chose you to be saved. Before you were poor, God chose you. Lord, I'm just a poor kid. I'm just from a poor family. Lord, I, I'm, a, I'm a high school dropout. I, I'm, just, I'm just working to, to try to survive, Lord. Before you were anything like that, God chose you. Somehow, he treasured you from far off before there, you were born, before you were conceived, before you were poor, before you were hurt, 
before the wounds were dug in in this life, where somebody slashed you and you didn't deserve it, where they left you and abandoned you and you were forsaken. God shows you before that, Lord, I'm damaged goods. No, you're not. He saw you before the foundations of the earth, before your mom left, before she didn't come around anymore, before you were adopted by your grandparents or brought into another home where you should have been cared for by love. But before your mom left, God loved you. Lord, I'm an orphan. Lord, I'm not like the other kids. Lord, every day I feel rejected by her. That hole doesn't get filled, God. Surely, God, you wouldn't want me. He chose you before that. He chose you before you were damaged, before you were hurt. But really, the big deal is he chose you before you had any moral character before you ever did anything good or bad. And all of us, the Bible says, have done plenty that is worthy of judgment. The Bible tells us there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that seeks after God, right? There's none, not one. And before you had done anything sinful, God loved you still. So does God, has my sin... My past sin, has that disqualified me, God, from you loving me? No. He saw you before the foundations of the world. God, can even I, even I be saved? You better believe it. He saw you from before the foundations of the world. Lord, is there enough for me? You better believe it. He sits in the heavenly places. And the Lord, today, he wants you to know that if you're a believer in God, that he has settled your salvation before the foundation of the world before you had done anything right or wrong, before your grandparents were born, before the Grand Canyon was formed or Niagara Falls began to flow, God saw you from eternity past. He knew you and he hardened his love upon you and determined to save you. What does that fill you with this morning? I hope it fills us with gratitude. I hope it fills us with uh, a, a healthy sense of obligation like we sang about just a, a moment ago, the Lord has saved us from his storehouse or from his place. He has the power to save us unconditionally. You're not disqualified. You're not an outsider. The Lord loves you. But secondly, God has the power to save us irreversibly. He has the power to save us irreversibly. In verses 5 and 6, it says this, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself, as sons through Jesus Christ. Notice that every action and every motive throughout this whole section of Scripture is on God's part alone. How many times, if you begin counting, will you see the words he, his, and him in this section of Scripture? It's all over the place. Every action, every initiative is on the part of God. He has the, the power to save us irreversibly because of that. He predestined us. And the word predestined here is on your screen. It's a Greek word. And it's pronounced this way. Prohoriso. I think it'll be on the screen in just a minute. But it's pronounced prohoriso. What does that look like to you? Before, pro, before the 
horizon. That's exactly the word here. If you're, if you're thinking, well, predestination is an English word. It doesn't mean that. Uh, here's exactly what it means. Before the horizon. Before the horizon of your life. Before existence was, was, was ever a glowing ember on the horizon of that landscape. Before it, it even began, God predestined you before the horizon. Way back, he predestined you. And he did so for what? For adoption as sons. Not just as adoption, but adoption as sons. We had a young man in our church, 14 years old, Jordan Clark. He's a missionary now in New Mexico. We went out and served his church this summer. Jordan was 14. <clears throat> his dad dropped dead in a parking lot at the uh, food town. Jordan had nobody. He was basically homeless anyway. You've heard this story. Um, his mother lived in Florida, had abandoned him when he was a baby. And um, some people in our church worked to adopt him. We helped him. Spent many weeks in juvenile court in Hamilton County trying to work through this long, you know how, if you've been near this, you know how it goes. It is long, it is cumbersome, these processes, these hearings. And the big hang-up was Jordan's mother had to come up for what is called a termination of parental rights. What that means is he can be adopted by someone else because the, the, the parent that he once had, uh, the rights are, are terminated. And so we worked and worked, and finally this lady was able to come up to Chattanooga for this hearing and um, be seen in front of the judge. And I got a printout here of some of the language that I can remember from that hearing. It was a sad situation. A lady came up, and not only did she have to face the judge about um, this issue, she brought another little boy with her and tried to give him away uh, to the church uh, while she was there, another son. But she stood in front of the judge, and the judge said, Ma'am, do you understand that this means that the parent-child the relationship here, in the eyes of the law, it no longer exists? You don't have a son anymore. She said, yes, Your Honor, I understand that. The judge said, do, do you understand that even though you birthed this child, that you no longer get to raise the child or have any influence over the child, no authority, no decision-making in his life, that's over. And she said, yes, Your Honor, I understand. The judge said, you understand you can have no contact with this child, that uh, you have no rights to visit or to talk to or to be in his life at all. She said, yes, Your Honor, I understand. And you understand you don't have to pay child support, right? You don't have to provide for this child. He is not yours anymore. You have no responsibility for him. She said, yes, Your Honor, I understand. And the judge paused for just a moment and as if, you know, Wondering about the next response, he said this. He said, ma'am, you understand that the birth certificate is going to be changed. That your name is going to be removed. That you will not be his mother anymore. She stood there. She said, yes, your honor. I understand. And with a stroke of the pen and with a bang of the gavel, it was done. It was over with. And I want you to imagine today yourself in the courtroom of the Lord God. 
And I want you to imagine yourself standing there next to that abusive, accusing parent that you are firmly under the custody and authority of your own sin. There's no escape. You're subservient to that, that a wicked world has got you in its grip, that Satan, that mighty enemy, has called you his own from your birth. And you stand there and praise God. A judge is seated and he looks at those people and says, do you understand that from this day forward, it's over? And they lash out and they want one last go at you. The Lord says, no. The birth certificate is changed. It's all said and done. He, she belongs to me now. God has predestined you for a adoption not only to become his but to strip you away from all those who would claim a hold over you and drag you down to hell left to your own devices praise God for this text he has adopted us as sons it is irreversible your previous parents cannot come back in and take you away and I promise you this this morning, when the judge of all the earth has purposed in his will, as this text says, beyond the horizon of your existence, that the parental rights of your own sin, of the evil powers of this world, are to be severed upon your life, and instead you are now to become a son or a daughter of the everlasting God, you can count on that. You can ride on that. When God gavels down your adoption that's something you can lean on no matter the questions you may have no matter your feelings of unworthiness no matter the baggage you bring to the foot of the cross with you you're adopted as a son and ain't nobody taking that back god has the power to save unconditionally it doesn't depend on you it's not conditioned upon your qualities god has the power to save irreversibly <clears throat> but god has the power to save unquestionably look at this with me if you will i love this statement i mean just put this in your pocket this little statement in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses. I mean, just put that one little section in your pocket and never, never forget it. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. That ought to go off like a sonic boom in here. It ought to be a strange and, 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 and unusual thing to us that in any way we can have redemption. Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. I love the word redeemed. I love it for my own life. I think of it for me that God, that God took something and he transformed it, something worthless, something hopeless, and transformed it into something of, of value to him. Some way. Y'all gave me a lot of gift cards for, our, um, for Pastor Month recently, and some of those gift cards were to Taco Bell, which, as you know, is the land flowing with milk and honey. It is... Uh, it's a good place. <laughs> the, 
they are bringing back something. <clears throat> they took away. Taco Bell is getting progressive like everybody else. And they took away my favorite menu item. Trey told me it's been on the menu for 50 years, 30 years, something like that. They just took it away. Um, called the Enchirito. It, it, the Enchirito. It came out on a plate, steaming with onions. It was amazing. And... Um, they took it away recently, and I saw pop up on my screen, and Trey might have told me about it, that, that there was a vote happening that you could bring back, that they're going to bring back one of two things, the Enchirito or the double-decker taco, right? Who in the world would vote for the double-decker taco? <laughs> so I got on there immediately, had to download the app, and I was driving down the road and voting for Taco Bell for the Enchirito for it, and uh, lo and behold, it has won the election. Uh, it won. And it's coming back, I think Trey told me, the 30th. Uh, you know where I'll be. Don't come to the office looking for me that day. I'm going to take a gift card with me that you gave me. I'm going to take it in my pocket to the Taco Bell, and I'm going to reach out, and I'm going to slide it across the counter and say, I'd like an Enchirito, please. Now, that card in and of itself accomplishes nothing. Now, maybe you could pop a, pop a door lock with it. I mean, you might could find some way to use that piece of plastic. But altogether, it's just a piece of plastic. I mean, you can't, you can't jack up a car with it. You can't, it. It means nothing, right? I hate to hurt your feelings. You gave that to me. But it, it means nothing. It's valueless. In fact, they have them out on the counter at Taco Bell. You can go get as many as you want, right, without... Painful. They're just out for free. They're, they're, I mean, what the, the value is, what you can exchange it for. See what I mean? And I'm going to go to the Taco Bell, and I'm going to take that worthless piece of plastic there, and I'm going to slide it across. I know this is silly. But I'm going to get something awesome back. So here's the serious part. God has taken, he's redeemed us. In him we have redemption. When he found us, so to speak, God did not stumble upon us and was surprised. He found us. We know he saw us when? Beyond the horizon. But when God found us, there was nothing about us of, of, of worth, of value, to make someone bend down and to, to pick us up and to say, you know what, I'm going to fix my love upon that son or that daughter of mine. I, 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 in fact, when it costs me everything, I'm going to give everything to have him as my own. When he found us, we were there was nothing of value in us until God took us and slid us across the counter and did what? Redeemed us. And now he has converted us uh, who were hopeless in our sin into something of, of unmerited, of unqualified preciousness to him. Why? Because we were good? No. No, never. But because he chose to. Because we were the largest people of the earth? No. He found us we were the fewest, right? We were the least. And everybody reading this letter would have known they would have known that they had been deemed something. They had been deemed second class. They had been deemed outside of the promises of God. They had been deemed hopeless and unregenerate. They would have read this at that time and known they had been 
deemed something. Everybody here who hears this message today knows you've been deemed something. But God wants us to remember with confidence and to live out the reality that we've been redeemed. Don't you praise God for that? You were born in this world deemed. And God said, no, I've got the power to redeem. And when I say so, it stands. God lavishes on us an unthinkable grace. That he opened our eyes in his own divine wisdom and insight to awaken us to the unthinkable things that he has done. That all along, while we were accumulating wrath for ourselves, the judgment of God upon our sin, he had an eternal plan to save us. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And though that plan required the cost of his own blood, God did not even hold that back from us we are redeemed this letter as we read it today is meant for those who are in christ it was written originally to those who were in christ gentiles it's meant for those who are in christ what that means is today if that is not you or, or, or many weeks or maybe years from now that you may stumble across this and come under the hearing of this message in some far-off place. Uh, I want you to know, if you are not in Christ, if your sins are not forgiven, if you haven't placed your faith in what He's done for you on the cruel cross as He stood there in your place, then this comfort, this hope, this encouragement is not yours. But praise God, he opens a way that anybody who would believe in him can have salvation. And so I ask you today, do you have this certainty? Is this certainty a part of your life because you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ? And for many of us today, the answer is yes. Yes, it is. I know it is, Matthew. Well, does it look like it? Does your life appear to show the evidence of that? That's what this book is about. That's what we're going to be learning about. Living a transformed life. The Bible says in the text we read that this was done that we should be holy and blameless before him. You see, God spared nothing in the full, in the full fulfillment of his plan toward us. And so the Bible urges us here that let's do the same in undertaking his walk. A walk in this world. It shows that plan. Let me pray for us. In just a moment, I'd like to offer you a time of response. And today, you can come down if you like. In fact, I would be honored to stand with you and celebrate with you and pray with you. We've got a decision to make. But maybe on this day, the real work to be done is right there, quietly in your spirit between you and God. To remember what He's done. To stop lying to yourself that you're less than. That He doesn't love you as much. That He can't carry you as far. Maybe today you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you've known this reality, but in your life, it doesn't, no one would look at your life and say, yeah, yeah, 
look at him treasured and chosen before the foundation of the world. Look how he lives out of gratitude to God. Uh, look how her life is transformed. Maybe you just pray quietly to God right there and say, Lord, don't let me get away with that any longer. You saved me for better. If you've got any decision to make, I stand here and celebrate with you. You feel free to come in just a moment. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. Thank you for trusting it to us. Thank you for our worship today. But we offer you what is meager in us. And we ask you to take it and add your power and transform it. If there's anyone here today, and there is, Lord, we, we say that with confidence. There are many of us here today who need to do business with you, who need to remember how you've treasured us from far off, from beyond the horizon. You knew us, you loved us, you saved us. That even Christ Jesus, the revelation tells us, was slain before the foundation of the world. Slain for our salvation before yet we existed. And so, Father, we credit you with all of that and ask that we would lay down our lives for the one who gave his up for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. And as we do, you're welcome to respond.